Good morning. Today's Bible reading is from Psalm 96, verses 1 to 13. If you have a Bible in front of you, it is on page 483. Otherwise, you can follow behind. Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his court. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Thanks, Nancy, for reading that. And great to be together, friends, uh, at the launch of our seven-week Go series, Go to See Lives Transformed. Uh, let me say that, uh, remind you that after the service finishes today, after the live stream is completed, we will then have a deputation of some uh, cross-cultural workers who serve in a sensitive part of the world. So don't leave and go straight to morning tea after the benediction. Uh, there'll be uh, a special presentation uh, after that. My friends, uh, John Dixon's an Australian author, uh, an evangelist, an apologist, defending the faith, and he's written a book called The Best Kept Seeker of Christian Mission. And uh, I love a story he tells in there. He said, a few years ago, having coffee with a friend in a cafe at a local beach, he said, I, I was explaining to my friend what our church was doing to promote Christ and among the residents of the area. And I noticed a woman a little bit further away was uh, looking inquisitively and listening in to what we were saying. I assume she was a fellow Christian, uh, listening in into our conversation, so I kept on talking. A few minutes later, the woman got up from her table. Can you imagine this? You're talking about Jesus with your friend. And she comes over to your table, uh, paid her bill, walked straight across to me, what seemed like the top of her voice. She said, so you want to convert the world? How dare you? I wonder what you would say. You're going to discuss that in your home groups this week. He's, John Dixon says, I thought of a perfect comeback about an hour later. That's quite normal. 
At that time, I was dumbfounded. For a moment, I even wondered, maybe our mission is presumptuous. Perhaps promoting the news about Christ is the stuff of fanaticism rather than a reasoned modern faith. So I'm sure many of us at times have wondered similar things. The rhetoric of the world which insists you keep your faith to yourself is powerful and sometimes leaves us cringing at the thought of getting overly active in God's mission to convert the world. So I ask, why should we reach out to others with the good news of Jesus Christ? Why should we be talking about going to see lives transformed? Why should we disrupt other people's lives? Why should we call Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and atheists and agnostics to repent and believe in Christ? Why go to indigenous communities with the gospel or to Vietnamese communities or to Indian communities or to North Africa where some of our workers go? Why? Can we just leave them alone with their own gods and their own religions and their own atheism? Why can't we just leave them alone? We can't leave them alone because there is only one true God and because we love them and God loves them. That's why we can't leave them alone. Sometimes when your life is disrupted, you come to discover the truth and find life. You may not like the disruption in your life. Many of us have been through different disruptions, but when we are disrupted from just where we're going and we make to think again, maybe we discover the truth of God's love and God's mercy. Friends, God is in, in the business of showcasing his glory to the nations. And he has chosen us as his people to be the messengers of his good news. And so firstly, just two points this morning. The first one is this, and comes out of Psalm 96. Go, for there is only one true God who deserves the glory. And if there is only one true God who deserves the glory, our hearts should break that the glory is not going to the true God and it's going to other gods, false gods, or gods that are no gods at all, as he says. We are to declare his glory among the nations, Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth, not just the believers, not just the people of Israel. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, not just amongst your little group, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. And the people of God were urged in the Old Testament to, to declare the goodness of God, but to do it amongst others so others would hear. And as people got close, the nations, the Gentiles got close to the people in the Old Testament, as they got close uh, to the people of, of God in the first century when Jesus was preaching. And they sang these songs. They declared to the Gentiles who had gathered in the court of the Gentiles, or the people who visited Jerusalem, they listened in to a message that there was one true God who deserved the worship. And he says, because there is no other Lord of the nations, no other creator of the universe, for great is the Lord, Yahweh, most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. God says these other gods are nothing. They're idols. And many of them had idols, stone 
idols and wood idols of their gods and they would create with their hands gods that they worshipped. In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 4, verse 11, we read these powerful words, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. There is one God who deserves glory and worship. And John Dixon writes, Monotheism and missions are intimately related. The existence of just one God makes our mission to the many essential. Friends, that's why there's a mission to the nations. And then we read these words, words again, ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. So he speaks to the nations, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Come on, welcome. Come in, stop worshiping your gods. Come and worship the true God, they say. Treble before him all the earth. You see, the gospel message, the message of hope, is for everyone, for all the nations. Let the nations be glad we've just been singing about. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Not some other god, not Baal or Ashtoreth, uh, not uh, the god of the Babylonians or the, or the Assyrians, not the god of whatever nation you want to list. No, no, no. The Lord, Yahweh reigns. He is in control. He is sovereign. The word, world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And friends, we go because we want to see men and women worship the true God. And give him the glory that is due to him. Now, there are other good reasons for promoting the gospel. And sure, we'll talk about those. God's love, God's mercy, his grace, our need of forgiveness. The coming judgment that is coming upon the people. And Psalm 96 reminds us that there is a judgment. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. The very fact that God will come and judge every person on this planet must force us to go. Compel us to go with good news. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Everything rejoices in our God. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. It's not just us, it's a picture like everything rejoices in this great God. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. Why? For he comes to judge the earth. We rejoice before him because he will make all things right with justice. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. And when you see evil taking place today, when you see injustice, when you see rape and murder and killing, you look forward to the coming again of the true God. Because no one will escape for their evil except those who trust in Christ and find forgiveness. He will come. We need to be ready for that. We talked about Ruth Barker. She was ready for the Lord Jesus. She was ready to meet him by trusting in him, not in her goodness, but in the goodness of God. Following a funeral, a man asked the pastor, how much did she leave, pastor? Pastor said she left everything they always do. I have a contrast in thinking about the, the death and judgment. Uh, and it came to my mind uh, just this week. About 15 years ago, I did a funeral of a lovely uh, Christian woman from our church. Her name was Liliana, Macedonian, Australian. 
Many of her family members were Jehovah's Witnesses, in fact. And I declared the gospel in this gathering here at the crematorium. We spoke of hope and life, facing judgment forgiven in a right relationship with God. And yet the following week, I attended a family funeral. It was an uncle of mine, died at the age of 73 of a massive stroke. He had never spoken much about Jesus. The priest, interesting, the priest acknowledged that he did not know much about the man whose funeral he was doing. He said, but I know his wife well. His wife is a spiritual woman. She's engaged in good works. So he must have done some good works as well. Somehow, this was to give people hope that this man was with Jesus. His wife did good works. It doesn't work like that. A pity if he did not trust in Christ for his salvation. A pity if he did not repent and come to Christ. I have a fear that he would have met God unforgiven. In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, Piper writes these powerful words, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When his age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. But not only is God worthy of worship, but when we give him the worship, when we sing praises to him, when we acknowledge him for who he is, it overflows into joy and life for us, you see. When you have the right perspective, it overflows and we receive joy, we receive forgiveness, we receive satisfaction, we uh, receive purpose for life. Psalm 67, may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nation be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and you guide the nations of the earth. That new song we sang today is based out of that text. But secondly, now there's a new word in this title. I had to Google how to pronounce it. Go because of the absolute worshipability of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is so worthy of worship, we must go. Because there is something beautiful about Jesus and what he has brought us that you cannot hold it in. Now, Mike Bird, who's there, is an Anglican minister and a theologian, a prolific writer and author, the vice principal of Ridley College in Melbourne, which is the Anglican College in Melbourne. I recently subscribed to his daily emails called Word from the Bird. Love that. Word from the bird. And he writes quite compellingly and interestingly, and uh, I've enjoyed what he's been writing on. And a few weeks ago, he wrote on why I am a Christian. And then he wrote another one, why I am still a Christian. He sets it up this way. He said, in Australia, as in other places, we live in an increasingly post-Christian world. And not post-religious. I think politics is becoming the new religion. But you get my point. Whether it was the iPhone, COVID or abusive pastors, church attendance is declining in many places. 
The fastest growing religious group in the West are the nuns or the de-churched. The church where I became a Christian has now closed. Seminary or Bible college education in America and Australia has declined by 30% since 2015. There's a massive shortage of pastors and priests in most Australian cities. The Australian Defence Force, he says, God help us, is partially replacing chaplains with well-being officers. I guess so are schools, right? The evangelical golden age of the 1990s has well and truly gone. We are not in exile. Gosh, I'm tired of that metaphor. It's more like London in the 1720s or France in the 1820s. Society is divided and decadent and the church is regarded as deceitful, decrepit and defunct. The Christian community may pray for revival, but they will probably struggle for survival in the Anglophone world towards the end of the 21st century. So why remain a Christian in an age of atheism and apathy? And I ask, why go and tell others about Jesus and disrupt their lives with good news? Well, for one reason, he says, the absolute worshipability of Jesus Christ. He lists then a number of things that Christ purchases for his people, brings to us of great value. And he makes them in some uh, deep statements, and I'm going to give you each of his statements. Because as we think about going, when I read this article, I thought it fills beautifully into this theme. And he doesn't list Bible verses with those main points. I'll throw, I've attached Bible verses to his points. And I've listed all those Bible passages in your outline, so you don't have to sort of look them up everywhere. Because they're good verses to hold on to, to read, to memorise. When someone says, why are you still a Christian? When those people, no one believes in God anymore, they tell you. Number one, because Jesus loves me and gave himself for me by bearing my sin on the cross and taking away the penalty that was due to me for my wickedness. That's why he's worshipful. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Secondly, because Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, treated shame with scorn to make us God's children. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See your Jesus, he says. And what happens as a result? He came to that which was his own, his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Thirdly, because we are justified by faith, we have peace with God and freed from ever, forever from condemnation. Romans 5, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the glory or in the hope of the glory of God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
We face death confidence because of the finished work of Jesus. Fourthly, because Jesus brings us to the love of the Father and grants us the power of the Holy Spirit. God is not just distant wanting our worship. He wants intimacy with us and he brings us into his family. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Fifthly, because Jesus' power is immeasurable, his compassion unsurpassable, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, because his reign is eternal, his justice is inescapable, he's not safe, but he's good. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, said Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. People are burdened and broken all over the place, friends. We're calling them to Jesus, not simply to worship him, but to find in him rest. And no matter what happens in your life, I like what he says, he's not safe, but he's good. Because we go through suffering, we go through persecution, we go through rejection. He's not safe, but he's good. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's still a Christian, he says, because Jesus has the words of eternal life. I remember in John chapter 6, the, Jesus would have been preaching, the disciples got confused, and the disciples, some of the followers, or what they called disciples at that stage, started to leave Jesus. Because Jesus was disrupting their lives with truth. They went, oh, I don't, we don't want this, we're running away. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you want to leave Jesus? Where will you go? What will they offer you? You have nothing of eternal value without him. Further, he's still a Christian because Jesus intends to build his church and to create a forgiven family and the doors of death will not breach it. Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Friends, it doesn't matter how many may leave the faith or deconstruct their beliefs. That's the language of the day, isn't it? Deconstructing their beliefs. Looking at it, you know, you're, you're, you're reshaping your beliefs. Not in God's eyes, but in your, you create your own beliefs. It doesn't matter how many leave or deconstruct their beliefs. Christ will build his church and he is building it globally. Friends, and we are part of the great mission of God to build his church. Love being here. I'm not looking at you. You're part of his church that God is building and he's doing it all across the globe. Because the world is cold, brutal and dark. And Jesus and his church at their best are light in that darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
You are the light of the world, he says to his disciples, and he says to us, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, they may see your good deeds and glorify God or your Father in heaven. Because Jesus breaks the boundaries of race and ethnicity, sex and gender, nationality and ideology, and makes one people out of many in a way that no institution or organisation ever replicates or competes with. And I look across this auditorium this morning and I try to look into, into your homes on live stream and I see all the cultures of the earth gathered together in worshipping Jesus from Africa, from Asia, from South America, from North America, from Europe, all gathered. This is what Jesus does. Men, women, worshipping him, all one in Christ Jesus. Because in a world where men and women ebb between the torments of life and the terror of death, Jesus is the life and has a love so powerful that even death cannot stop it. I am the resurrection and the life, said Jesus. The one who believes in me will live, live even though they die. Because that is why our funerals are filled with joy as well as grief. He goes on, because Jesus is my righteousness, my holiness and my redemption from 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. Because Jesus is a healer to the sick, he is comfort to the grieving, he is peace to the afflicted, because the weak find him their champion and the powerful discover him their conqueror. Because he is and will be forever the man Jesus of Nazareth, the risen Lord, the exalted human over the cosmos, where he is, he has promised we too shall be. Book of Philippians, we're told that after Jesus' humility in coming to earth, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why we continue in following Jesus. And do not let your hearts be troubled, said Jesus. You believe in God, you believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, if it were not so... But I've told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. The sovereign Lord, the maker of the universe, the saviour, the redeemer, wants us to be with him. Mike Bird concludes, Why am I still a Christian? Because for 25 years I have served him and my master has done me no wrong. That's why I worship him. He writes, everybody worships. We worship what we desire and we become what we worship. In Jesus, we encounter God for us, the God-man who is worthy of our worship, a worship that disciplines our desires, and Jesus deserves our adoration as much as our imitation. Jesus was, is, and will forever remain worthy of my worship. In conclusion, Jesus is worthy of of our worship. God is worthy of our worship. We go for he is worthy of everyone's worship. We pray. We come before you God today and we acknowledge that you are worthy of our worship. There is no other God like you. All other gods are idols. You are the creator. You are the sustainer. You are the redeemer. And we have found life in Jesus Christ. We ask that you would so fill us with your spirit, your truth, your power, that we would walk in faithfulness and obedience, 
that we would never contemplate turning back and deconstructing our faith or rejecting our faith, but that we would go stronger and deeper in our relationship with you because you are the true loving God of the universe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.